0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis. Hello, hello. Oh boy, I got a real fun interview for you. Apparently, I am a quote unquote millennial in a quote, at 32 and three quarters years old. And I always kind of had a little bit of a beef about what I read and heard about us so-called millennials and, and, and what we are and are not. And I wondered, is that all real or new or someone's just trying to make some stuff up? Well, this guest here, Lee Careher, she sets us straight, and it's so handy. So you're going to learn a, a few key things that were eye-openers for me, including one, just what exactly defines a millennial in terms of the age and year cutoffs, and why is it that 72% of us reject that label? Secondly, uh, what is actually different about millennials versus what is just your typical intergenerational bashing that's been going on since the days of Plato? And three, how do we coordinate well to work nicely and cooperatively and optimally cross-generationally? So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the things mentioned here in this episode, you're going to find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com. And if you want just the takeaways faster, while you're over at Alsmateyourjob.com, awesome sign up for the Gold Nugget email list. So here is a bit about Lee. Uh, Lee Carher started her company Double Forte in 2002 to work with good people doing great work for good companies. Her friends and colleagues have called her "quote the Millennial Whisperer." After struggling with how to work well with millennial clients and now staffers, of which are more than half of her staff right now, and then working to figure out how to make that work, Lee has written a positive and practical book about the topic called Millennials and Management, the Essential Guide to Making it Work at Work. She has served as the vice president of corporate and consumer communications at the $1.6 billion Sega of America as their youngest U.S. vice president. She has also served as executive vice president of the Weber Group and founder and president of Red Whistle Communications, both interpublic companies. Lee is active in the community and currently serves on a numerous boards, a graduate of Carleton College with a degree in medieval history, which she finds useful every day. Lee lives on the peninsula with her husband, two sons, and their blind cat, Al, not AI, as I soon learned. So here's Lee. Lee, thanks so much for appearing here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
1: Pete, it is awesome to be with you. Thank you.
0: Oh, lovely. Well, I, I think we're to have so much fun here. But first of all, I'm curious to know you have a blind cat named AI. What's the backstory there? Actually, his name is Al. Oh, so- <laughs> oh the, I was foiled by the capital <laughs> I, lowercase l. Sorry, it's an Al. <laughs>
1: his name is Al. His name, he's named after my, where my. His name is actually Altoona. Ah, Which, classy. My husband insists on spelling it like tuna, the fish. But actually, he's named after Altoona, Wisconsin, where my parents lived. Every summer, my whole family would go for the whole time. So that's who that's who Al is, and he's blind. And so my husband calls him Stevie Wonder. You know. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: This would be totally politically incorrect. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I assume that means Al is very talented. That's where I was going with that. Yeah, like, very he talented. He reminds me of another Sing. blind person who's very talented.
1: <laughs> he sings in his sleep, absolutely.
0: Now, you are, are known as the millennial whisperer.
1: Yes, my friend told me that.
0: <laughs> which is good. So that wasn't something that you and your branding, communication, wisdom dreamt up. They
1: <laughs> No, intensely dislike that. I'd rather be called the millennial champion. Okay. But... My friends actually started calling me Millennial Whisperer a few years ago. I failed epically at working with millennials. And then I worked at it to figure out what the heck to do. And then my friends started calling me and saying, you know, what does this mean? What does that mean? And I would say, this is what I think. Go ask them. Oh, you're the Millennial Whisperer, Lee. So then it sort of stuck. It just
0: stuck. Uh, Well, I think you teased up a little story and I can't help. I can't help but dig into it. Can you share with us? How did things crash and burn? You started working with millennials, and what were the challenges, the problems that you saw?
1: So um, when I started my company in 2002, we only hired people with 10 years of experience, which almost by definition are probably 31, 32 years old at the minimum. Mm -hmm. In 2008, when everything crashed around us, it's always good to look at your business model during an economic blip of any sort. To make sure, because usually uh, a business model that got you to a certain point where the economy, your economy, the big economy, the regional economy changes, mm-hmm. will not be the one that you should take forward. And we decided to hire young people, uh, people who were out of college, which I had done in my past, but I had not done this company. So we did, and I was terrible at it. And I had been known before for recruiting and retaining people. But I started recruiting and uh hiring people twenty two twenty three twenty four year olds and um I hired six within a couple of months of each other, and within three months, they were all gone oh, and wow. one of them could be their problem, but six of them had to be my problem, mm-hmm. so I never had a hundred percent failure in recruiting in a you know ever. And um, I started looking into it, and I found that there was such a thing called millennial. I had no idea. This group of people has a different point of view than I had um, and how my company was operating since we only had people who were Gen Xers or boomers. So we did some shifting around, and based on the research I did, the interviews I did, um, we did some shifting around. And then my book came out of that, just trying to be helpful to the other people who were struggling with it
0: fascinating so this tells me from your real live lived experience says that there's something to it that these so-called millennials really uh-huh. are we i guess i'm the, i give them the both <laughs> i suppose 32 and three quarters we <laughs> uh, really are different than previous workers and in what ways is that actually true
1: So, I mean, I think first of all, millennials get such a bad rap. Mm -hmm. So, millennials this year are between 16 and 36 years old. Okay. So, they're born, I use Pew Research as my base on this. So, Mm -hmm. born between 1980 and 2000, which is a huge range, you know, it's a huge range. So, they get a huge bad rap. And particularly the, the middle group, 22 to 28, 29 years olds, really get the worst rap right now. And it's just statistically impossible that an entire generation is terrible. You know, oh yeah, <laughs> just, just, <laughs> it's just it's just terrible. This has happened, but there are very many differences. So I would say to you a few things. One, I split the group of millennials into three groups. The first group is probably twenty nine to thirty six this year, and came into the workplace after nine eleven, between nine yeah. eleven and two thousand end of two thousand eight. They came into the workplace. And their for instance, their point of view in general on security and privacy is very different from Gen Xers or Boomers because they came into the workplace right after 9-11 when things were, you know, really got tightened down, which became normal. So boomers and Xers had to get used to it. Millennials who were that old, you know, that was just normal. You didn't have to learn something new. It's just what happened, right? The next Mm -hmm. group is 22, 23 to 28, 29. And this group came into the workplace after two thousand, end of 2008, 2009, when the economy contracted dramatically. It's also Mm -hmm. the largest group of millennials in terms of millions of people. There are still millennials in that age group who are looking for work commensurate with their education because there just wasn't work. And this group is the one that gets the biggest, I think, the biggest rap mostly because of what was happening for boomers and Xers at the same time as millennials were basically emptying out of college with us in tsunamis, right? And then the mm. youngest group is sixteen to twenty-two in school and they are have the advantage and disadvantage of many things that the oldest group did not have. So for instance, the iPad did not exist when the oldest millennial was in school. And today, iPads are in classrooms and almost on a one-to-one basis all over this country. The other thing that's true is that one-to-one computers was not a requirement for most schools for the older this older set of millennials. And now is almost a requirement for almost all higher education situations. So when you have this technology in front of you in your classroom, a lot of things are afforded to you that... Change the way you learn. So, for instance, uh, kids, I don't mean to call them kids, but you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds, they're doing homework in the classroom and they're learning on videos at nights. Khan Academy has totally changed how people learn at the high school and college level, actually. So, these differences show up in the workplace in many different kinds of ways. One example is often when people get, you know, when recent graduates come from college, often they have to be trained backwards in technology because they may have used huh. gmail base for their entire lives and then they get into the workplace which may have a legacy system more work is on outlook than is on gmail and it's it's not native for them so we in my company we have we're outlook based my company is almost 14 years old we have to train recent graduates backwards on outlook
2: uh.
1: and it is they feel like it's backwards it's like oh my god it's so antiquated <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, because the, how it works is different than how a Gmail system works. So just those kinds of things that um, boomers and extras would never have thought of. Right. Another thing um, that is often true is, so I could ask a person 22, 23, 24 year old. I said, I would say, send me a draft of something and they will send me a Google link. Really, This will drive me crazy. They send me a,
0: Things. Is it because it's a Google Doc that they made? It's a made? Google
1: Doc, right? They sent me a Google Doc. Uh-huh. It's full of all the comments and the corrections on the sites. Uh-huh. This is normal. Group sourcing, crowd sourcing information documents. This is how people are learning how to work with each other in school. Well, this is not necessarily how a lot of work works outside of school. And it's not that they're wrong. They sent me a draft, uh-huh. their concept of a draft. My concept of a draft is actually a piece of paper printed out on my desk. So all these clashes of definition, I think, are what have created a negative, a negative impression from older people about millennials. And and I, I really intensely dislike
0: that. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess what you're describing, I, I think it is resonating a bit. Like once I was at a – I was in an elementary school because we were – We had a business associated with low-cost online math tutoring. And so we're kind of checking it out. (laughs) Ah, There you go. And so we're checking out the scene, ground level. And one of the teachers said to these children, hey, what do you do if you need help or I'm busy helping another student? And all the children said in unison... Khan, Khan Academy. Khan Academy. That's like yeah. I was like, whoa. Like yeah. that is just their default thing they do with their learning downtime is get up on the Absolutely. Khan Academy. That that was an eye opener for me. Absolutely. And and so but you're saying yes, of course, peace. That that's how it is everywhere.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I've met Sal Khan and he's an amazing person, right? Mm-hmm. And and his point of view, you know, here finally, how can you teach He started teaching math to his nephew. Mm-hmm. But it's an amazing resource. It's different in terms of just the, how you would go. A lot of parents have a hard time with the fact that their kids are watching videos at night and doing their homework in the classroom. Like, what? This is upside down. Well, yeah, <laughs> but it's working, right? So yeah. we just have a different point of view on how things. So I can tell you, the millennials in my office, the younger millennials in my office, you know, they'll go look for a YouTube video before they ask how to do something. Right, And uh, it might be faster if they just asked how to do something, you know, <laughs> but that's their go-to. That's their default.
0: What's encouraging or heartening or edifying synonyms here yes. is is that <laughs> it's not like they're lazy. They're entitled. Absolutely they not. think everybody gets a trophy. But it's just like they have some different habits, associations, you know, comfortable grooves associated with different technologies.
1: Yeah. I think digital native is really the term. It's just so comfortable with technology. Just, you know, it's extent. there will be a time when a baby comes out of the womb with an iPhone attached to their end of their arm. <laughs> it's going to happen. We're going to be there. And I don't think millennials are, I mean, I think they get a bad rap. Like, I don't think they're entitled. I think they've been conditioned. I think, uh, and when I say conditioned, I mean two things. One is the average grade point average in the last 15 years. So when the oldest millennial was uh, 15 years, so 21, has risen in this country over a full point in the last 15 years. So, you know, a 3.5, you might get a. you can actually get a 5.0 on a 4.0 average now with extra credit and all that kind of Uh stuff. Well, that is creating a false expectation for the value of that work. And there's a lot of data on this topic and a lot of at the university level, with the cost of college going up so so much, Sort of the value of the grade, there's a lot of pressure from parents and students on teachers and graduate students who are doing grading to just instead of the B minus, give the B plus. Instead of the B plus, give the A minus. And over the last 15 years, the whole grade point average has risen a full point. So when you get into into the workplace, your B plus work, you're used to getting an A for it. And a lot of managers have to send it back. And it's not quite done yet. We're almost done. What do you mean? It's perfect. And there's a big dissonance that happens right out of school uh-huh. based on that grade point average. And there's all these things that Xers and boomers say they should know. They're supposed to know. Uh-huh. And the should and the supposed to, as soon as you find yourself saying those words, you know, you know you're in trouble uh-huh. Because, uh-huh. because they don't, and it's not their fault. So, you know, in your email to me, you asked for some, some hard facts. Well, that is a fact. So Take it. The has risen a full point in 15 years.
0: And quick clarifier on that, if I may. So the, sure. the grade point averages have risen. You're saying this is due to great inflation and I've just got to just gotta do my diligence here. This is not because we've actually all just gotten smarter. No. Like how the ACT or SAT standardized test scores have That's been about down. the same. Down. Oh, down. mercy. That's not good. You're learning me here. You're learning me good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the SAT has gone through two or three iterations in that period of time as well. Mm-hmm. The – no, when – so you Cal Berkeley now publishes the grade point – the curve on every grade that you get in a transcript. The only reason you have oh. to do that – the only reason you have to do that is, and they hit, you can only get a four point four point is the highest you can get at Cal Berkeley, right? One of the premier institutions in this country. The only reason you would possibly want to do that is if your four point had to be justified. Yeah. And they were finding that some of their kids were getting X'd out because they didn't have four point five. So, well, they weren't allowed to get a four point five because four point was the was the top. Mm-hmm. Harvard and Stanford have done you know a lot of work in this area too, bringing it back down, bringing it more realistic. The average grade given at at Harvard University, the most common grade, not the average grade, the most common grade given at Harvard University is an A minus. Well, how is it statistically possible Mm. that everybody's above average even on a curve is a curve, right? (laughs) Yeah. So there's just a lot of inflation that goes on that when you get into the workplace, it's always been challenging being the first four years out of college. Right. Learning how to be in the real world where social promotion is not the norm has always been challenging because everyone starts at the same time, and maybe you don't elevate at the same time. But add on to it this great inflation, which has created the impression that my work is better than it actually is, makes it, has made it even harder. And as I believe has created this impression that the boomers and extras have about their millennial colleagues, about how entitled they are and how they think their, their work is so fabulous. Well, because we told them it was. We gave them an A minus instead of a B minus. We gave them, I mean, if a full point is a full point, think about that. B minus to A minus, that's a huge difference.
0: Oh, that's good. So
1: there's a lot going on. And then I think on the, what you said about everybody gets a trophy, the rise of nobody loses soccer is like the biggest disservice, I think, to the human Mm. race.
0: All right. Bold words.
1: It's wonderful for preschool to second graders. Um, but really, the kids always know. My kids played soccer. Nobody wins soccer, and they uh, – nobody loses soccer. They always knew the score, but mm-hmm. the parents were the ones, we don't keep score. You know, The problem is you get – you keep going. It keeps happening, and there are a lot of awards and medals and stickers and stuff that people get just for showing up. That uh, for participation, participation awards that are meant to, you know, I think our parents really like. The kids don't like them as much as my hmm. experience. And then I'm here on time. You hear this a lot with why don't I get any credit for being on time? Oh. As you're supposed to be on time. Yeah. And that's not the millennials' fault. <laughs> that's their parents' fault.
0: Oh, this is you – know,
1: Strong feelings about that. Can you tell?
0: <laughs> uh, I hear you. Well, well, no, Lee, I really appreciate it because I think you've really, you just made it real for me because I hear a lot of noise about the millennials. Ugh. And I was like, what, what does that even mean? And am I one of them? And what are my, supposed that? What is the implication of that? And, and so I love it. You've just broken it down. I was like, okay, well, check it out. But we have some different perspectives and experiences and habits and norms when it comes to the technology that we use. Okay, got it. Also, there's been a little bit of a, Messaging that's all over the place that you're amazing when in fact you're you're maybe a one grade level below amazing <laughs> you know hey right. you, you're good you're not you're amazing good. but you've been told you're amazing and so you, you kind of are surprised when when you're kind of getting that feedback what are some of the real real differences and and the more you've got hard facts the the more I love it
1: well first let's talk you know let's just define a millennial so like I said it's 1980 to 2000 this mm-hmm. is the largest generation 80 million people. Boomers, yeah. which is 19, well, 64 is the youngest one, which is me, this year are 52 to 70 years old, 78 million boomers. And in the middle is the Gen Xers, about 46 million Gen Xers. So there really is a difference in the size of that right. middle generation, Gen Xers. Gen Xers are full of single children who are latchkey kids, who were uh, raised by dual-income families and went home by themselves and let themselves as a very independent, a lot of single children. Millennials, there are more siblings in the millennial generation than there are in the Gen X generation. Hmm. The other thing that's interesting about millennials is it's the most gener- uh, educated generation so far, and it hasn't even finished, right? <laughs> hasn't even finished, and more by, obviously, by sheer number, but by percentage. More millennials have at least a bachelor's of arts degree Mm. uh, or a bachelor of science degree, the equivalent of a bachelor's degree, than by percentage than either boomers or Xers or traditionals, which is the 70 plus group. The other thing that is interesting about this group, it's 29 percent of employed millennials live at home, Mm. which is the highest percentage in over four decades And 36% of millennials live at home, but 29% of working millennials live at home. And it's also the the least white, least Caucasian generation that we have in this country. Right now, there are fewer Caucasian millennials than there are all the other races combined, which will then in the whole country Hmm. mean that in about six or seven years, we'll tip over so that 50% of the United States will be not Caucasian.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So, you know, there's a lot going on in all those numbers, right? Mm -hmm. But it leads to a lot of confusion and us versus them. And us versus them is nothing new, right? Intergenerational conflict is, you know, we talk about it as if it's never happened before. How crazy is that? I start my book with a quote from Socrates. I loved it. Yes. Before Christ. I mean, it's a long time, right? And I have a degree of medieval history. That's a 1,000 years of intergenerational conflict right there. So intergenerational conflict is not new. It's just we're dealing with it. And the other piece of that is this is the first time in American history where we've had four different generations in the workplace at the same time. So if you think about – it used to be that we were very hierarchical. The boomers were a wait-my-turn generation. So many of us – I'm a boomer, like I said. For so many of us, if we just we just knew, if we just waited our time, our opportunity would come. Well, that is not how millennials want to live their lives, right? Technology has created a very flat world where you're one click away, one tweet away, one email away from anybody and any information, and why shouldn't that be true? Access shouldn't be true in the workplace, so where we have today is I sit next to a millennial, and behind him is an exer, and behind her is another boomer, and but next to her is a another young millennial. Where maybe fifteen years ago we would have been on different floors, we right. might have been in different offices. You wouldn't have seen a millennial in an office. <laughs> now boomers don't even take offices in lot in huge swaths of this country. Boomers don't take offices. You know they're out in the pit. As we mm-hmm. used
0: to call it, so uh,
1: a lot of norms have changed, so that we we're just much more up against it than we used to be.
0: Well, thank you, thank you. That
1: <laughs> hopefully that helps.
0: No, I appreciate it. Well, <laughs> and it makes it it makes it all the more real, and it, it's like you're setting me straight, which is nice because I mean I've this has happened before, like I've gotten sucked into like a an hour plus of of online reading about generational stuff, and I'm I'm just thinking. Yeah. I don't know if I really buy if any of that is for real. And so I I love how you bring in the research and the experience to, to kind of separate myth from fact. So, so now let's talk a little bit about some myths. What are some things people say about those millennials that strike you as just rubbish and, and that need to be rejected?
1: I think the entitled thing is totally BS. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's, they're not it, an entire generation can't be entitled. Right? It's statistically impossible. It's how they grew up. It's conditioning. I think the you know the other a myth that comes up a lot is expect rewards and promotions just for showing up, and I think that is more true, and we can break that. Expectation really early on if we're just direct. Right. Another uh, myth that comes up all the time and the millennials are lazy. They don't work hard, and I think that's total BS. I think that millennials work very differently than their older colleagues, and we uh, need to understand that. And I'll give an example Please. of that. I was walking a hall with uh, a client who, a little older than myself, and he's, you know, walked by this person, and this person had three or four screens up, a phone, an iPad, and two computer screens. Had Facebook up, Twitter, his email, and his phone was in his hand, right? Mm-hmm. And, oh my God, that guy, he's not, he, look how, he's just totally not doing anything. And I look over, and I, what I see is he's talking to one of my people in my own, back in my office on Facebook, mm-hmm. because, They had sent something in the Facebook message chat because it was Facebook native. Was dealing with something on uh, Twitter from uh, that was feedback to the company. Had been texted by a reporter, so was texting back the reporter and had his email up. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's doing four things at the same time. Yeah. No, he's got his Facebook up. No, 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 no. He's working in Facebook. You know, so the. Number one, sort of the mode of communication is very foreign to many older people. And the other piece of that is boomers and Xers for the last 20 years have had the business narrative of work-life balance as if you start one and when you end it, you start the next. And millennials, mm. given this technology and the 24-7 nature of technology, are much more fluid, sort of going in and out of life and work all day long, and they expect it to be, go back and forth, back and forth which is really how we all today need to work. And the expect that expectation of, well, I'm going to get that done later, it doesn't mean that they're not going to get their work done. It just may not be at the time that you want it done. So having some expectations around when you get work done, you can solve all those problems really quickly with communication. Another myth is that they're casual and, and disrespectful or rude. And I think what is definitely true is that Something like only 20% of the people who took – 20% of the numbers of people who took cotillion classes or manners classes take them today. I mean I grew up and I had to go learn how to cut butter by cutting bananas and putting in my bread plate. Well, most people (laughs) do not take those classes anymore. (laughs) And in a world where – in particularly in big metropolitan areas where people come from all over the country and all over the world with different social norms – it is not unusual to hear someone was, oh, that person's so rude. They're wearing their baseball cap in the restaurant. Well, that's, no one ever told them not to. You know, yeah. it's not like they're, I, I think the, uh, a good example here is I used to interview people. When I was recruiting them, I would take them out to lunch or dinner. You know, someone would do that and just, just mm-hmm. you know, get to know each other. And I did not hire two people because they could not eat.
2: Like and that properly? Was dumb.
1: Yeah, properly. Mm-hmm. How stupid was I? So stupid. I mean I can teach someone to eat. I mean it's not that hard. You, I mean if you don't know, you don't know.
2: Yeah.
1: But I can teach someone to eat. I can't teach someone to have initiative and be curious. But I can teach someone to eat. i I still kicking myself in the shins that I didn't hire those two people. Oh. This was years ago. So – I'm on the board of a college in, um, in my area. And now I'm giving etiquette classes to these college seniors and they don't know. They don't know not to hang their knife and fork off their plate. It's not because they're ignorant in the bad sense. It's because they, they just don't, they aren't aware. And if we can just say they aren't aware instead of they're ignorant, we sort of get rid of that whole thing. You know, every time you say should or supposed to, you get yourself in trouble. I think that the last myth that I really found a lot is that they don't – millennials don't want to pay their dues, and they want freedom and flexibility and work-life balance day one. And I think that's twofold. One, I think the millennials have no problem paying their dues. They want to know what the dues are,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they want to understand what the dues get you, right? right. So the context is really important. It's not a rocket science to figure out. Of course they want work-life balance because their parents have been talking about it for 20 years. And so of course they should have it because their parents have been working really hard for it. I find that the working women who are older have the hardest time with this one because really working women who are fifty five or older are the ones who put this on the map, work life balance. I just, you know, I'm not very popular when I say this, but I say you gotta get over it. The point of being a pioneer is to make it better for the people behind you. Mm -hmm. Difference is they're sitting right with us. Right? There's no time between us. (laughs) Right. So I think that's a split myth.
0: I think that's a split mess. I know I, that is a nice reframe there. It's but like.
1: Both of the negative ones are wrong.
0: hmm. hmm.
1: Anyway.
0: Well, so, well, that's handy. So, so understanding established, we got the, what's, what's true, what's myth, wh- wh- where's their hard data? That's good. So, so then where does that leave us in terms of some prescriptive advice, some do's or don'ts? You know, what are some of the, the top things that millennials should do to, you might say, quote unquote, fix? you know, what yep. is wrong or perceived to be wrong, as well as kind of build off some, some strength to really dazzle.
1: I think a couple of things. One, millennials will show up in the workplace and you will see inefficiency everywhere that you can fix. You will. Day mm-hmm. one, you're going to see something you can fix. My recommendation to you is try not to fix it day one. Okay. Because Because you're going to get a lot of people pushing back on you. Mm-hmm. So my do it their way first... And then say to you know, then after you've done it your their way once, at least once, so you understand the interdependencies of everything. Mm -hmm. Then you can go and say, you know, I think I may have found a way to streamline this. Can I can I show it to you? What do you think? Because if you just go in and say, oh, that's stupid, I could have done that. You know, we could cut off an hour here because you probably can. Right. Mm -hmm. All you're going to do is get everyone else's backs up because what you just showed up and now you're going to tell us we're wrong that's just disrespectful. And I don't think people mean it as disrespectful, but that is how it's taken. So if you just do it their way first and then try to show them how to improve either by streamlining it or by shortcutting it or whatever, after you've done it and after you've been there for at least a couple of weeks. And I really, I know I sound so dumb, but this is happening all over the country. I get this question all the time. Someone was in my office on hour three saying, you know, how dumb our process was. Oh. So, you know, just do it their way first. The other piece is one of the first questions that a lot of millennials ask is who's going to be my mentor. Okay, And I'm a huge proponent of this for bo- and mutual mentorship. And if you are going to have a mentor in your company or your manager, the first thing I'd like millennials to do is ask the person, what do they read every day? Mm-hmm. Because you get your news from different sources than they do. And if you, sh- if you can just read their news sources uh, just for a month, you will have a much different um, appreciation for how they learn and what their, what their frame of reference is. And if you could exchange your reading list, give it to them, here's what I'm reading every day, that's even better because then they're having a sense of what you read every day. But going in and asking for their frame of reference, you know, you – if you have a boomer boss who you think might be a little bitter, you know, they're already going to have a bad, you know, if you think they already going to have a bad point of view on millennials, then, you know, you can get rid of it by just saying, what can I learn from you? Looking forward to being with you, looking forward to learning from you and doing something their way first and learning from them. And then going back and saying, hey, Lee, I had some thoughts on this. I wonder if I can walk you through mm-hmm. how I might, how we might improve this process so that it's You've learned their their way and you've learned some from them first. Those two things alone will, will get you off on a, such a better path and sort of break through a myth, a, a negative impression that you might be walking into. And the other piece of that is, too, you know, 72% of millennials don't call themselves millennials, right? It's so negative so negative that millennials don't like it, uh-huh. and in the end, millennials just the word millennial just tells you when you were born. It just tells you you were born between 1980 and 2000, uh-huh. but it's so laden with negative impression and negative connotation that even the generation themselves – you never hear a Gen X or a boomer like disavowing their generation title, hmm. but boom, millennials do it all the time.
0: Oh, well, that's reassuring because I'm just <laughs> like – yeah, I don't think I am one of those – and uh, I, I, you know that to you in advance right. with the questions, <laughs> and Someone so know. I guess.
1: Technically you are, but it doesn't, it doesn't need to be negative, right? It doesn't need to be negative.
0: Well, so this is, this is great stuff. Could you maybe share a story or example to, to bring some of this to life here? I think that those are some great practices in terms of swapping the reading lists and, and more. Can you show me how you've seen perhaps a, a transformation of understanding unfold uh, during the course sure. of your, your working and, and, and writing and speaking?
1: I can tell you from ourselves when we had failed so miserably, you know, I went and I interviewed as many millennials as I could find about what the hell did we do wrong? And basically they laughed in my face, you know, Oh my God, you did what, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and these are like things i did done for my whole career that have been successful. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where I really came up with the should and shouldn't and supposed tos. And one thing that we did that changed everything. Well, two things, I'll give you two things. One was the first thing we did was we provide now context for everything at the beginning of a project. Context. Context. So, what is the what is this project? Who is working on this project? What roles does everybody have on the project, and who's dependent on whoever else? And it, when the team gets done with the project, where does that go, and what impact will it have on the whole company? And we go all the way. You know, it sounds. It sounds like, duh, wouldn't you do that anyway? But most people do not stop to, to start in a full context. They just assume people understand. So we started doing, here's the project, here's everybody on the project, all those things I just discussed, so that everybody knows that everybody matters. And particularly mm-hmm. for lower-level employees, when I mean that, I mean early-entry employees who may be frustrated with the fact that they're a low man on the totem pole, And think this work is stupid. Why does it even work? You know, I'm here to tell you that there's no job in this country that is hired for that doesn't have to get done. Mm -hmm. If you're hired, the job has to get done. So your job matters, no matter how stupid you think it is. And once you understand who's relying on you to get your job done, that just improves performance dramatically. Mm -hmm. Number one. Number two, understanding um, how we all interact together and how you could might help. Millennials, I find, are a huge helping generation. A lot of people say they're the me generation. My experience is the the we generation and how you give feedback to a millennial in terms of if they fall down on the job, if they don't do a good job. The fastest way I know to make that never happen again (laughs) is to say, hey, Pete, you really didn't do a great job. And, you know, the impact was that you really let the team down, Mm -hmm. And the rest of the team had to pull your weight. And I will never have to say that to you again, Pete, (laughs) because the team is so important. Millennials are very team-oriented. They're very leadership-oriented. They sort of – leadership is very fluid to them. They could lead from any place in the boat. They don't have to be the coxswain to lead, right? And it's bone-crushing when they realize they've let the team down. It doesn't work so well with Xers.
2: Xers are
1: more independent, but millennials – That really snapped over for me when I was like – I said to somebody, you're really not living up to your potential. I mean you're such great potential in this woman. I don't really care what you think, Lee. Really? Uh. And I was like, wow. I've never had someone work for me who didn't care what I thought. Uh. Wow. And I think she was an extreme example. And I said, but you let everybody down. Look at this. They're all working their butts off because you – let them down. She burst into tears. Oh like man. She went, she went from, I don't care what you think, Lee, to bursting into tears. When I flipped the context of what I was talking about, my opinion about her work to the impact of her work on everybody else. If you had told me earlier in my career that I was living up to my potential, I would have burst into tears. Mm. Right? So, and I think those are generalizations that I have seen. And you know, I don't know how to quantify that, but I can tell you that I challenge everybody to try that and see if it doesn't work for them.
0: Oh, that's powerful. Thank you.
1: And we start doing those two things. Every, every, And I tell you, we track our time in my company. And so when we started doing those two things, making sure we were giving feedback so that people understood that their impact – on everybody else and then contextualizing everything. Here's why we're doing it. Here's who's who and all that kind of stuff. We found that we were wasting at least per person one or two hours less per week because there weren't as many questions. There wasn't much grinding going on like, what am I doing this for? And although it takes time at the beginning of a project to do this, it saves time in the end.
0: And how did you measure the wasted time?
1: So we track our time. We have to track time that is we'd bill our clients and then unbillable time and our unbillable time went down once we made this a practice.
0: Oh, that's great. Lovely. Okay. Well, any other things you want to make sure you articulate before we shift gears into the fast faves?
1: Sure. I think, um, you know, I'm really optimistic about the world because of millennials. So this generation is going to crack a lot of nuts that uh, we've been toiling on or avoiding or kicking the can down the field. And If we can just appreciate that they have a lot to offer, I think boomers who are often bitter about the fact that they're still working will be uh, much more able to accept and allow them to thrive.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. Well, could you start us off by sharing a favorite quote, something that you found inspiring?
1: I find, if any, I'm a big quote person and my Twitter feed's full of quotes. Right now, because I have something going on, focus is my friend is my favorite quote right this second.
0: Uh, agreed. <laughs>
1: Keeps me going.
0: And how about a favorite book?
1: My favorite book, I have many favorite books, frankly. I read a lot. I think leaders read a lot. One of the seminal books is Primal, Primal Leadership, which is just fantastic in terms of understanding your style of leadership and when to deploy different ways.
0: Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite tool, whether it's hardware, software, gadget, that helps you be productive?
1: I really like the app Focus at Will, which has science music, music you choose based on science to help you focus on one thing at a time. Oh,
0: excellent. And how about a, a favorite habit or personal practice of yours that's boosted your effectiveness?
1: Move every day. Move every day
0: just like walking or just any kind of walking
1: sort of move I have a movable desk goes up and down I'm sort of moving you know if I, I find that if I'm sitting too much, my brain goes to mush, but when I'm moving around, my brain is active and I can be much more productive
0: excellent and how about a sort of a favorite nugget something that you share and that gets uh, retweeted or a Kindle book highlighted or folks really nodding and, and resonating with with what you're communicating
1: the we generation thing really gets a lot of a lot of traction.
0: Because it rhymes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when you let the team down, that really resonates strong mm-hmm. with most everybody I talk to.
0: Oh, thank you. And how about the best way to find you? If folks want to learn more, would you point them to your, your website or Twitter or where should they go?
1: Sure. The best thing to do is go to my website, which is com. Or on Twitter, I'm at at Lee Careher, and I share a lot of the stuff and other good leadership stuff there all the time. I'm a little prolific.
0: Oh, well, <laughs> I, I like that. Thank you. And, and how about a, a favorite challenge or a parting call to action that you'd like to leave folks with who are seeking to become more awesome at their jobs?
1: I think the biggest challenge is to not be negative. Just don't take the negative energy. Take the positive out of the negative situation. And if we can do that, be the duck. Let it roll off your back and then move forward.
0: Beautiful. Well, Lee, thanks so much. This has been a real treat and I wish you tons of luck in, in all your pursuits here.
1: Thank you so much, Pete. It's been great to talk with you.
0: Oh, fun. Well, I hope that was as eye-opening for you as it was for me. And whatever side of things you find yourself on, you are the millennial or managing the millennial. I hope there's some, some really handy takeaways there in terms of what's real, what's not, and, and how we can all just get along. So again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links and things mentioned, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com. And I hope to catch you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.